0: Hi, this is Laura Lee Griffin. And this is Nikki May with the Stardust Society, inspiring you to stop getting in your own way and start building an art biz and life that you love.
1: We are artists who believe strongly in the power of community, accountability, following your intuition, taking small actionable steps and breaking down the barriers of fear and procrastination that keep you stuck.
0: Follow along with us on our creative business journey as we encourage you on yours. Laura, who are we talking to today? Well, Nikki,
1: I first met today's guest about 15 years ago when a friend invited me to take a fused glass class in his home studio in the crazy cool Kessler Park Conservation District in Dallas. After spending just a couple of hours with Larry Pyle in his studio, I was immediately a fan. He is one of the most talented, generous, open-hearted and creative artists that I've met and he loves bold color form and texture and the art walls and glass panels throughout his entire home prove it <laughs> he loves exploring new techniques to take his art form to new levels doing amazing things like weaving glass and then he generously shares all of his knowledge from his experiments with others you feel completely inspired after spending time with him whether you are an absolute beginner or are attending one of his master workshops.
0: Larry hosts amazing in-person and online classes. He's the founder of Lunch with a Glass Artist and Second Saturday Table Times Virtual Classes and has created an incredible kiln-forming glass art community that spans the globe. But what we're most interested in talking to Larry about today is his startest story as a self-professed serial creative and his prolific experience with art festivals. Over the last 20 years, Larry has displayed and sold his artwork in well over 150 of them and is here to share all of his hard-earned experience and advice with you.
1: Okay, we could go on and on gushing about Larry, but let's hear from the man himself. Larry,
0: welcome to the Stardust Society.
2: Thank you, Laura and Nikki, for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
0: We are thrilled to have you here. So, what we always like to start with is the startest story, which is how did you get started with your art? You know, you call yourself a serial creative. How did you get going?
2: I think I've been creative all my life, Nikki and Laura. I have been a painter, a singer-songwriter, I did large format black and white photography, I was a furniture maker, a silversmith, so there's
0: So you're a slacker?
2: <laughs> I'm I'm lazy. Yeah, um, there's very few times when I've not been making or creating something, whether it was music or some kind of art. Um, so glass has been my passion for 22 years, but gosh, for 40 years before that, there were 30 years. Figure out my age, do the math. Um, <laughs> but um, just just I've always had the had the drive to make something, and um, right now glass is it.
0: So tell us a bit about what you did professionally before Glass and then how that moved into Glass.
2: You know, when people meet me, they assume that I'm a full-time artist. And I am a full-time artist, but I'm also a full-time professional until July 6th of 2022. Um, I was a senior account executive for a large behavioral health insurance um, company. I'm trained as a clinical social worker. I have a master's degree in social work. Oh, wow. I did direct practice and administration of plans for major um, Fortune 100 customers. And that could be a 60-hour a week job as it were, but um, mm-hmm. I value work-life balance enough that I devoted that much time to art as well. So I'm busy. I'm, I'm not lazy by any means, <laughs> right? <laughs> but doing that job allowed me to also be creative in its own way. So um, that, that theme is my life.
1: So you mentioned all of these different hobbies that you had done, which really weren't just hobbies, because you at some point turned those into a business for yourself. So tell us how that progressed.
2: So I live in a 1926 Tudor home. Um, Mm -hmm. And when I first started, I moved to the neighborhood of 2000 and I had this little dirt floor garage that's probably original to the house. And I was just starting to do um, stained glass and furniture making. A neighbor, um, Susie Moody, a fairly well-respected potter and her friend were taking a walk and they wandered up the driveway and said, what are you doing? And I showed them, and they said, well, why don't you come and, you know, we have a little group in Oak Cliff that we do um, some art shows and do some art stuff. And why don't you come, maybe bring some pictures of what you do and meet with us? Well, I didn't know I was being evaluated, right? So I put, put some pictures on a CD-ROM and did that and... um That in May of 2003, so 2003, was my first art show. We only could do it on Saturday because we're in a church. We had to give 10% of our sales to the church. And so Uh that was my first art show. I learned very quickly my prices were too low. you got to have a better display (laughs) lots of things that I learned. But um, I became part of that group and later led the group. And that was my first art show and my entree into really selling my work.
1: Okay, so it was a it was a church little art show um, that happened and at the time, what type of products were you selling?
2: I was doing a little bit of stained glass and a little bit of furniture. so I did both those. Um, I have since ceased anything but glass. It just doesn't make sense to mix sawdust and cone form glass. I have 11 (laughs) kilns and having having sawdust with um, 1500 degree kilns just doesn't make any sense. No,
0: that sounds like a bad combination. So when you did that first show, were you immediately hooked and was like, oh, yeah, I got to do this?
2: You know, I learned what I will tell you today. Doing shows is a lot of work. It's more than just the logistics. You've got to schlep your work. You've got to create enough work. You've got to, um you know, do your display and all that stuff. You've got to manage what's physically tiring, important to eat and drink and sleep so you have some presence. But it's also emotionally exhausting. I think of an artist, particularly a beginning artist that hasn't developed thick skin like I have. You're putting your heart on the table. It's like everybody that walks by that table that doesn't stop and look and buy, they're sort of rejecting you. And so there's some there's some cost to doing an art show. This is not for the faint of heart.
0: Right. I've only done a handful of shows myself. I've done a couple of like holiday markets and I've only done two real, you know, art festivals outdoor weekend long. And it is hard work. Yeah,
2: it is. It is, Nikki. I actually, after Laura and I talked to prepare for this, I actually counted our shows. It's been about 250.
0: Oh, wow. Wow. That's amazing. While having a full-time job.
2: <laughs> and doing uh, 200 Zoom meetings since the pandemic. So, yeah, it's keep, got me busy. Do you sleep? <laughs> I do sleep. I sleep very well, though. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That is so impressive. Okay, so the very first one that you did was um, was way back when, and what did you say, 2003 or so? 2003, May of
2: 2003.
1: I assume that this was more of like Hey, we have a table. You can set up on the table. It wasn't, no. you know, much more involved than that, right? Right. Um. So I think that's a lot of uh, that's a question a lot of people have is like, if I'm going to get started in art festivals, do I have to go out and buy a a tent and you know walls and all these things to display my art and shelves and you know all all the all of those supplies sound really expensive. Um. So how how do you get started in this and how do you how do you develop what you need or decide what you need to go buy?
2: Well, for me, Laura and Nikki, it's been an organic process. So I started with, you know, simple tables. I built some really sort of cruddy um, wooden shelves that in retrospect were just so bad.
0: But still, (laughs) I bet it helps that you have that furniture background so you could you could build some of some of the stuff yourself. I
2: had that skill. Yeah, yeah. Well, but I broke so many rules. It was cluttered. You could see through it to the booths behind me. It just, it yeah. just when somebody went in my booth, they were probably immediately either put off by the clutter or they saw everything behind mm. me. And those are both obstacles to showing at an art festival. Um, do you have to start with a tent and panels? No, you don't. Um, a lot of shows will rent their tents. It's not an expense of $100 to $300 for a weekend to rent a tent, but they put it up for you, which is good. Mm. And so you only have to populate that. I think having something that is clean and uncluttered and well lit is critical. You go to any art festival, you're going to see the t- classic pro panels and a typical pro panel set up without any of the Shelves, or print bins, or lights, or any of that stuff—it's about a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars, and you're going to double or triple that by the time you do shelves and lights. But I didn't start with that either. I've only had those for maybe the past five to seven years. Mm-hmm. But boy, do they make a difference in your sales and your presentation. You know, one of my important takeaways from shows is, you know, we spend a lot of time making stuff, whether you're a painter, a sculptor, a glass artist, you do stuff, you make pretty stuff, and you take pictures of that pretty stuff, and you focus on that pretty stuff. Well, when you go to an outdoor art show, your booth is another creation you've made. If you don't treat it that way, if you treat it like a, oh, it's just a table, I'm going to slap this beautiful jewelry or pottery or paintings on, you're going to get bypassed. You're not going to be successful. So the importance mm-hmm. of the display is really important. Do you need to go, go out and buy $10,000 worth of display stuff? You do not. But mm-hmm. I advise that you think carefully about that as yet an extension or, or another piece of your art, your display, mm-hmm. because that's critical to selling.
1: Interesting. So if somebody is just getting started out, you know, maybe they can start out on a show that just requires the table indoors somewhere type of thing. But then as you expand, you know, you mentioned you can rent one sometimes from people, but you had mentioned $300, which also feels quite expensive when you're just starting out. Mm -hmm.
0: But I would imagine, so I've only done, you know, those two outdoor shows and I wasn't going to invest in buying a tent for that. So the first year I actually shared space with another artist who had a tent. And then the other, the second year I did it, I just borrowed a tent. So
2: can I can I speak to that for a minute? Of course you can. I have a I have a glass friend that her first show, she shared a booth with me. We did a show yeah. that allowed sharing and mm-hmm. we set up a little pop-up. It wasn't a nice festival town, but it was a little mm-hmm. pop-up. We used my panels and we split the booth down the middle. She sold $1,500 worth of stuff on her first show. And so doing wow. it with an experienced person has some benefit if you can find some that will do that. Now, a lot of shows don't allow sharing. They want right. the sole artist to be there. But
0: but if you have a friend you could borrow from, because my point—the the point I'm trying to make is I did those two outdoor shows, and although it was fun and I sold well, I realized this is not the life that I want. I I don't see myself doing it long-term, so I'm glad that I didn't invest in the equipment, you know, the tent and everything up front. Mm-hmm. So, you know, try it out maybe before you do the investment or rent it before you do the investment because some people love it, some people don't.
2: This is not for everybody, for sure.
0: Because I'm lazy.
2: (laughs) 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 And to find a show
1: that allows you to share, you know, maybe on your first shows, you should be seeking that out when you're looking.
2: There are lots of church shows, school shows, um, community event shows, private Mm -hmm. organizations, typically the big these application juried shows are not going to allow you to share um, now.
0: Let me insert a plug in here right now for uh, for my local festival in Paducah, Kentucky, the Lower Town Art and Music Festival. <laughs> That's the one that I did. It, it's a fun. it's a fundraiser for uh, the art center I'm on a board of. And they do allow sharing. Well, there you go. There we go. <laughs> Sponsored by the Lower Town Arts and Music Festival. <laughs> so
1: so we talked a little bit about the, you know, the idea of sharing and the cost of a booth. And, you know, you might want to get some rudimentary things set up um, when you first Display your work, um, but not every show you can just show up at, right? So, so how did that work? You did your first show, and you decided, hey, I want to try some more of these. Um, were they juried shows? Were they? Did you stick with a certain type of show for a while? And then,
0: how do people apply for those? Like, and how do you find out about? Yeah, them? how do you even find what shows you want to apply to?
2: I think once again, it's an organic process. I started with a little show, maybe a person or two saw me, they put on another little show and eventually word gets out. You're submitting applications and sending checks to various entities. I don't know how I did my first juried art show, Art Fest in Dallas. Um, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Laura, you'll be familiar with that. It ran for probably 10 years before it stopped, stopped the show, the show stopped. But that was my first jury. I didn't realize the importance of the pictures and the importance of the booth shot. You know, we did the best we could. And that's a. if you'll think about the high level art festivals, that's not Mm -hmm. a very high level one. But gosh, for me, it was. And by the time you start getting word out, I probably get five or six or seven invites a week to non-Zapplication shows. I'm also on lots of mailing lists, Art Fair Insider, Insider and DFW Art and, um, you know, the Z application shows. So I think there's lots of those that um, you'll build up. The other thing I want to tell, and I'd, 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 love to, I'd love to tell a story because this is how I think about art, about classes and about shows. Um, so this guy wanted to start a little group, right? And he was going to be a discussion group about some topic that doesn't matter. So he invited a bunch of people and he made this big old pan of lasagna, right? Well, the time came and went and nobody showed up. So instead of giving up, he set the next meeting and Made another pan of lasagna. By the way, we know what he ate for weeks, right? Anyway.
0: <laughs> I can think of worse things to be stuck <laughs> yeah, with.
2: <laughs> really. So he announced another. And sure enough, the next time, one person showed up. So they had a little bit of lasagna. And he ate lasagna for a week ago. <laughs> but he continued doing he, per- he um He persevered. And six months or nine months or a year later, he finally had a full group. It was a robust group expectations were drawn, and so um, he considered it a success. And I think that's a lot about classes and art festivals. For art festivals, I think, you know, we look at a show and we'll ask an artist, I'll, I'll ask an artist, what shows do you think that are good? And at the beginning, people would say, oh, this show's good or in that show. And I quickly learned you've got to define, get them to define what is a good show. Oh, yeah. So so how, how how well did you do? She goes, I made my booth fee. I'm, I'm not, not here sure. to make a booth fee. That, that that That's a loss of my time and my work and my energy. And so that's not a good show. So get right. them to define that as much as they can.
0: But for your first one, it might be.
2: It might it's be. It's a start. Sure, sure, it's sure, a start. Sure. You
0: didn't lose money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Right. You didn't lose money. Um, And then I think. I think of any show that I'm going to start at. So I ask, get recommendations, talk to people who have done it. Maybe I even walk it if it's a, if it's a big expenditure. I may walk it the year before I do it.
0: That's a good idea.
2: And I want to do a show at least three times. I think of people. You know, you're there the first time at a show, and there's people. If this is an established show, and that's one of the secrets of picking good art shows. You want something that reasonably established. The first time, first time show. It's a real risk. And I've done some of them. And sometimes they're worth it, sometimes not. But you, The mm-hmm. first time you're in an established show, the patrons are surprised to see you. They may love your work, but are they there to buy Laura Griffin? No, because mm-hmm. they don't know about Laura Griffin. The second time, if you're there, the mm-hmm. second year, they're going to remember mm-hmm. you. They're going to be glad you're there. Um so that's good the third year they're going to expect you to be there and they're going to ah. anticipate you to be there and they're going to come think about when you go shopping I don't know if you ever go shopping and just oh, I'm going to buy something whatever comes up I have something in mind and that's true for art festivals so if they're yeah. looking for jewelry and you're a jeweler well she's one of the seven or eight that I'm gonna look at and so there's some there's some adage that lasagna. And I in my in my house, we talk call it, call it, we gotta make lasagna. So we gotta give it a chance. We gotta nice do I think, like that think sort of in the long term. And so I think of a show, and when I'm thinking about ceasing to do a show, I may give it three tries. I might try okay, move my booth to somewhere else or try a different promotional tactic. And then if it's still sort of a dog, then Larry decides, no, this no is no longer for me. So that's a little bit of how I got into shows. I think Laura also knowing what requirements a particular show has. Nikki talked about the Paducah show having um, the ability to share a booth. That's great. But what Mm -hmm. do the jurors want? If you've ever sat in a jury process, it's fascinating. And several of the ZAP shows, the Fort Worth Main Street, St. Louis allows a public jury. And they'll do typically one or two or three levels of jury. And they allow the public to attend the first one.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: So you're sitting in this little amphitheater. You've got your you're, you know, you've got the backs of four or five or six jurors and they're sitting in their chairs, they've got their table and their pads or their ratings, and they've got a screen, typically a large screen. And the moderator will project typically three or four pictures of your work, your booth shot, read your art statement in about 10 seconds, and then they go on. And that's what you get. And wow. so if you know that show, and Laura, you know, the Fort Worth Main Street Art Festival, yeah. they want the artist to be narrow and deep. And I will never get into that one because I do weaves, I do drop vessels, and I do mm-hmm. um, a couple of other things. I'm not narrow and deep. I don't meet their criteria. So why should mm-hmm. I pay $50 to jury when I'm not going to get in? I still do, but I never get <laughs> in. Other shows are much, much, much more forgiving. In fact, I think most shows are forgiving. If you show two or three styles or two or three gross, you know, same same gross genre, painting or jewelry or glass, but you can do multiple styles and they're pretty forgiving. But think about that. A juror has 10 seconds To give you yes or no. Wow. You better have great pictures. And sometimes, you know, we spend so much time making, you know, Laura's making jewelry. She makes this jewelry and that jewelry and that jewelry. Takes great pictures, lovely background, maybe pays a photographer to do that. And then she just dumps this crappy booth shot. That may make or break your jury experience. So you'll want to think about that in addition to the things you make.
0: A lot of things to think about. So let me ask you specifically about that one that wants it narrow and deep. What if you showed them only photos of your weaving pieces and you got in? Could you then sneak in some of the other pieces in the
2: booth? Depend on the show, but they're really, really particular about sending people around and saying, did the jury pictures match what they or show it. Now that show is unique. Most shows right. are not that particular.
0: Not that strict. Yeah. Not
2: that particular. Yeah. So again, it and 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 if you were to go to the Z application site for the Fort Worth Main Street Arts Festival, it'll say we want narrow and deep. Yeah. So they're not deceiving anybody. Right. They're they're right. forthright about it. Um, but you gotta decide if that's the show for me. Yeah. And I I think I think there's many other things. Is your price point fair? I used to do little tiny elementary school shows, and I hate those, by the way. But when I was starting out, they were good.
0: You got to start somewhere. Um,
2: today, my pr- my price point would not support that. Um, you know the. I don't I don't have anything in my booth under a hundred dollars and that's sort of the maximum for an elementary school show, right. or a PTA show or right. uh, many church shows. And so you've you've gotta know the show. And that's one of the benefits of talking to other artists or walking the show.
0: Okay. So you've mentioned several times the the word zapplication. And I know what that is because I've I've used it before, but I bet a lot of our listeners don't know what that is. So Tell us about that.
2: Sure. So Zapplication is a cool thing that basically I go into this application. Of course, I join and do all that stuff. Doesn't cost anything to join. But I fill out an application. I do an artist statement. I talk about my work and, you know, maybe my price points, a little bit about me. And then they mm-hmm. archive that. And so they, uh, they must do 500 or more shows a year across the country. And so when I see mm-hmm. a show I want to jury for... I say, click that, it opens up that application. My application goes in there, so I don't have to fill out that. I do do 10 to 15 shows a year, and to fill out those applications and find the pictures would be crazy. They have an archive of all your photographs that you've submitted, including your booth shot. You say, I want to submit this one, this one, this one, that's my booth shot, and pay a fee, and a jury fee can run any, well, these days, anywhere from probably a low of 25 or 30 to maybe a max of 50. Um, You pay for that. And then they prepare the packet, if you please. They manage the jury process. And I believe the application gets paid by the jury fees. And then Mm. the promoters get the top 100 or 200 or 300, whatever kind of show it is. And then they manage it from there. And then they send you this thing saying, hey, Larry, you've been accepted and you pay your... Boot fee and the direct communications from them on out come from the festival. So it's a, a, a way to streamline the application process. Basically. Yeah,
0: and and I know from the from the other side, because I help run the festival in Paducah, well, I don't run it, but I do the design work for it. But um, from the festival side, they put their calls out on there. So they fill out all the details and requirements for their application. And then we'll get Larry's and whoever else's and be able to use it to go through the jury process.
1: So it's nice on both sides. And it sounds like then you don't have to put together this whole package and application every time. There's just Mm -hmm. pieces of it. Maybe you have to customize, but then you already have your artist statement and, you know, your work, pictures of your work and all of that available on there. That's pretty cool. Yep. Yep.
2: Well, and you have you can have 30 or 40 pictures and two or three or four artist statement. Maybe I want to sound a little bit more more philosophical and sometimes a little bit more concrete. Some some applications will have a 100 character limit for your artist statement, so you've mm-hmm. got a you've got a so some options you can pick, but it's so much easier than filling that all out from scratch. So
0: Right, and maybe you have different bodies of work. So, you know, for me, I might sell jewelry and prints and I might only choose one of those to show a certain show. Right. So makes it really easy. So
1: let's say that you get accepted into a show and you've applied, you you get accepted. Either it's, you know, sort of a fancy juried show or, you know, it could be the local school. Kind of what comes next in that process is you've got to get all your artwork together. You have to figure out how you transport it, how you're going to market it, you know, to get people to show up. Like, What are some are you- of your suggestions and your experience in that area
2: um can i go backwards before we go forwards? yeah
0: absolutely you can go anywhere you want
2: <laughs> i think i i think a lot of people say how do i pick a good show and i think sure, certainly talk to other artists but i get lots of cold emails you know they've gotten my name from some other list and so they said hey we're doing the mother's day festival here will you come and so i i i, I always ask a few questions i ask um you know is this first time or has it been an established show Mm -hmm. If so, what was the audience count sales if they tracked them, et cetera, et cetera. Usually they don't know that. They don't track that, which is sort of a strike against them. But I ask that. Mm -hmm. And then I ask, um, how will you promote it? So if they say, oh, we're Mm going to send it out in the PTA newsletter. I (laughs) a pretty small audience. I saw saw a Z application show recently that I was considering. They said the the 50 artists we let in sold $20,000 worth of work. Well, do the math. That's $400 per artist. Mm-mm. Either they missed, I think it was a typo. There, there, there's no way they would have left out that. a zero. But they left out a zero.
0: Hopefully for them. <laughs> but
2: think about that. Even even 50 artists, that's $4,000 a piece. That's an OK at the bottom end of OK show. It's not a great show. Because think about it. I'm going to have to travel. I'm going to have a motel and traffic expenses, gasoline. I'm going to have to. Pay for my meals, and then there's the four to five to six hundred dollar booth fee, and then there's just getting all the work ready. That's the that's the hardest part for us. Well, it's also the most joyous part. But mm-hmm. you got to have enough work that you have enough to sell. You know, people often joke to me, "Oh, I, you know, I wish you the best of luck at that show. I hope you sell out." Well, think about it. If I ever sold out of a show, I would be kicking myself. All the way home because I didn't bring enough work.
0: You didn't make enough work.
2: I didn't. I never want to sell out because that means I didn't make enough.
1: Or it means you didn't price your work right.
2: Correct. Correct. So I think um, knowing how to evaluate shows. So how is it? How is it promoted? What does the attendance look like? Is it juried or not? Will they let anybody in? Do they require handmade work? A lot of shows, you know, the school and um, community shows will allow the multi-level marketing, the allow the sensei and the, you know, mm-hmm. all the stuff Anything. that has nothing to do <laughs> with handmade work. Um, as an artist, I can't compete with Chinese boys working in a factor making cheap whatever. And so I've, I've got to pick a show that goes with my story, which means individually high quality, handmade, hopefully one of a kind work instead of mass produced stuff. So you want to look at those when you're picking a show.
0: And then I imagine you also have a bunch of artists that you know from these shows that you can ask, Hey, did you do this show? How was it for you? What do I need to know?
2: But get them to define how they define a good show. Because the newbies will say, Oh, I made my booth fee. I don't do shows to make a booth fee. I need to make, make my, make my profit and my travel and my time and all that stuff, or else I could stay in the studio and teach a class and make some money, but it's got to be worth my while.
1: Well, I'm kind of curious because when people, you know, get started, they may not have the funds to support, you know, a bigger show or even have, you know, enough work yet or, um, and so one of the ways you can counter that is to have the right pricing. And you had mentioned in your first show, you realized, oh my gosh, I underpriced everything. How how do you decide what to price?
2: It's organic like everything else. And I think what you'll hear throughout my life, is, I'm I'm completely self-taught. I don't have any art education. I've never taken a class in any of the stuff i talked about. Well, well, maybe one or two, but I'm not.
0: Well, you know, let me interrupt real quickly and say I went to art school and I am not self. Well, you know, I'm not self-taught. I went to grad school. I didn't learn any of that.
2: <laughs> I agree. I agree. You learn
0: yeah. by doing and by talking to other people.
2: I think you try to look at materials and your time as much as you can gauge that. I make lots of stuff at once. They're all they're all one of a kind, but they're, I make lots of stuff. So you try to gauge your time. But I think the, the the perplexing thing about art is I could do a painting. I'm not a painter, by the way, but I could do a painting. And if my last name ends with Van Gogh, it's going to get a lot more money than it is if it ends with Larry Pyle. and so mm-hmm. I think you've got the tangibles, the materials, and the and the time. But then there's all sorts of intangibles. What is your reputation? And I think as 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 I grow, when I think about my first glass experience, I was selling little pieces for nineteen dollars. Now my minimum price is one hundred and forty, and that's. Largely because I've gained a following. One of the things Mm -hmm. about an art show is we think, oh, the promoter is going to be a good job of bringing an audience and promoting this. And I hope that's true. But you better take responsibility for promoting yourself. Because if they don't know you're there, expecting you to be there and understand your work, you're going to be a surprise. And that's not a good formula for selling. Certainly not a good formula for selling high-end work.
1: Well, let's talk a little bit about that—the the promotion aspect. Um, so, how do you promote yourself? If you you know you hope that the the festival will provide some level of promotion, but as you're mentioning, you have to promote your own work. How right. do you do that?
2: I do a couple things. I do pre- I'm 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 pretty active on Facebook. I do Instagram. I, Lori, as you may know, I was a commercial photographer a long, long time ago. And so I'm a pretty good photographer. And so I take pictures. I take in process. I'm already thinking and have been for at least three weeks about Valentine's Day. That's the number one gift purchasing holiday we have. And so, you know, I'm thinking I already have a trunk show enabled. I've got Valentine related classes and I'm starting to promote those. I was signing a bunch of hearts mm-hmm. yesterday that I'm going to frame. Well, I had them taking pictures of me signing the work. I had pictures of us laying out after we had attached them to the map boards. And so I think I think posting in process pictures. I also have a huge mailing list. Um, there's a mm-hmm. phenomenon in art shows. Um, it's a question. I think a lot of people don't think about it, but I do. Do you give out a business card? or not? And I Mm -hmm. think you do not. And this is why Mm. Uh, a business card is often a get out of booth free card. And so you hand the card to them and they think, oh, he thinks I'm going to follow up and buy some stuff later. Well, I know that's not true. And so what I say instead, I said, would you like to take a picture of my sign?" Or would you like to sign up for my mailing list? And that gives me the control if they sign up for the mailing list. They take a picture of the sign. Think about this. I was doing some photographs for a glass artist three weeks ago. He gave me his business card, which happened to have one of my photographs from five years ago. And I wanted it. You think I can find that business card? Heck no. no. But if I took a picture of his, that card with my mm. iPhone, guess what? How many pictures do you have on your iPhone, Laura? Uh, thousands. Hundreds of thousands. <laughs> so they're not going to lose it. And it gives you a little bit of control. And you aren't going to let them off of the hook because they think if I don't buy something, there's something wrong. Well, I know that's not true, but they don't. And so why would I get them off the hook? And and half the cards I would give out are kids who are just collecting cards with pretty pictures. It's a a business expense that just is unnecessary. That that
1: is so interesting.
2: Big card about that.
1: Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but I think that's such good advice. And also, um, I'm kind of curious, when you ask for people's email address, do you do that just on a physical piece of paper and a clipboard type thing? Or do you have a digital way to collect that?
2: I wish I had a digital way, but today (laughs) I do it on a piece of paper. Okay. which means a lot of post-show work um, in addition yeah. to the pre-show work and uh, at the at-the-show work. So. Right. So, Lori, cool. you had asked, once you get into the show, what next? Mm-hmm. And I don't think I answered that. Um, I think year-round, I'm creating for shows. Um, I have a storage unit full of art that I have to have an inventory because people, you know, oh, I've got a gift. I've got to get something. Larry, what do you have? I've got that that level of need for that. And then I've got shows that I've got to get ready. And if I wait till the, you know, three weeks before or six weeks before the show, I'm going to be humping it. And so I I don't want to do that. So I prep, prepare. I think the other thing that we haven't talked about, and I've listened to your podcast, a number of them, and you guys really talk about being creative and being, doing high quality work and, you know, how do you differentiate yourself from others? And I think that's part of it. If you're at a show and your work looks like every other glass artist or every other jeweler or other painter, mm-hmm. you you don't belong there. It's not going to be good for you. So what is it about your work that's different from everybody else? If you don't have an answer for that, you don't belong doing art shows.
0: Get back in the studio. At least you don't
2: belong doing high-end. <laughs> and a jury, you, you know that the jurors um, are jewelers and potters and painters. And so if you do something that is poorly executed or that everybody and their brother are doing, it's going to work against you. So how good is your work? How unique is your work? How well is it presented? And then I think you start thinking about how am I going to display that? For me, that's uncluttered, well lit and well organized. If you walk into a booth and it's a bunch of tables and there's just pots or pieces of glass or paintings or jewelry just spread out on the table, It looks like a garage sale. What happens? What, what, what was it like the last time you walked into a gallery that was impressive? It's one, one level of paintings. They're sparse. It's clean. It's well lit. And there's not a lot of clutter. It doesn't feel like a garage sale. And so I think thinking about your display and planning for that and then the logistics, the schlepping. I think if it's your first show, set up the whole darn booth and the display in your driveway because you're going to want to have some experience doing that before showing up on a Friday afternoon where you've got three hours to set up. So you want to have practiced your setup. You've got a good setup. You've got good work. And then I think you better eat and drink, get a good night's sleep, take care of your body because once you're in that booth, you've got to be present. You can't be reading your iPhone or reading a book or distracted. You can't be absent. And so you want to be present. And if you believe in that energy, and I sure do, you want to give off good energy because people won't stay in your booth if you're given anger or exhaustion or resentment vibes. And so you want to, um, you want to be prepared in that way. That's one of the arguments for having a partner or a friend or a spouse mm-hmm. that does the art show with you because they can help. With some of that, because um, as Nikki said, doing it by yourself is no no game for the thin skin.
0: I want to ask you a little bit more about being present with shoppers. So i i always I always observe people and wonder myself when I go in a booth. It's like some people will practically ignore you. Some people will like attack you with the hard sell. How do you handle that? How do you approach people who come
2: in? Sure. I greet everybody that comes in the booth or even stands in the aisle and looks in. I'll say, mm-hmm. come on in. I don't bite or something non-threatening. They come in. I'll say hi. If they look at anything and they invariably do it, I said, if you'd like to know more about that, I'd be glad to talk to you. And then I back off and leave them alone. Now, I'm an introvert. I'm not a people person normally. And so, you know, that's pretty easy for me. I don't want to pressure or hard sell, but I want to make, make available information. And if there's something about them that I can comment, maybe their outfit, maybe their hat, maybe the color of their clothing, something that I can relate to, then I make, make a comment to make a personal connection. Also, if two people come in your booth, this is really important. Nobody knows this. Okay. So there's one person that's interested. There's one person that's less interested, right? Mm-hmm. You've seen it a thousand times. If you don't engage with a person that's not interested, you're, they're going to leave and their friend's going to go with them. So uh-huh. you have to engage with hmm. that person that's less interested. So you keep them in the booth so they can look at your work. Because that's what you're there for, to show them the work. They may not buy today; They may, may buy in a year or two years or three years, but you're there to plant a seed.
0: That's great advice. And I think I like the way you handle it. It's a balance. It's not totally hands-off, but it's not overbearing either. Yeah.
2: I have a bio with lots of humor in it. Um, mm-hmm. I also believe that you should have prices on everything. Do not ever make a customer ask you how much it is. I have a story at the Cottonwood Art Festival as a patron. There this mm-hmm. scul- there's a sculptor, a bronze sculptor, who's doing this lovely little lost wax bronzes, And they were so cute. I really wanted one. Nothing had a price. Do you think I asked him? I walked on.
0: Nope, people aren't going to do that. Yeah, I mean, and you're an artist who knows about things. Most, most of the general public would be too intimidated. All right, so let's talk more about what life's like at the show itself. Um, things like weather, how does that affect, you know, <laughs> I know that one, one time it was so windy, everything blew on the ground and everybody had to pick everything up. Yeah. And if you're a glass artist, how the heck do you do wind?
2: <laughs> and I'm a glass artist. Amen, Laura.
0: My stuff was messed, mess, but nothing got broken. So what do you do if the weather's bad?
2: <laughs> I have so many stories I want to tell you. So, Laura, you know Texas weather, right? Yes. We don't get much cold weather. Arboretum probably eight years ago. The Dallas Arboretum is a major fixture in Dallas. They have Mm -hmm. a great, great, great art show. It's probably my favorite of all times. I do it every year. I just got my acceptance for 2023. So come see me. Anyway, um, they accepted me. We set up Friday night. It was torrential rain. Thankfully, the rain started after I'd set up and I had a festival tent, which is a heavy duty. It's a $2,000 tent, but it's really heavy duty. It's spacious. It's lovely. It's really strong. And mm-hmm. so they aborted Friday night. And Saturday, we got up. And this is in April of whenever it was, 2013, 2012, whatever it was, Laura. We show up, and there's eight inches of snow on the ground. Oh. In April, <laughs> in Dallas, Texas. In Dallas.
0: it oh was my There gosh. was so
2: much snow on the roof of my tent that the poles it actually bent and ruined the four poles that wow. held up my tent. So that, um, that's the extreme. I love... On my website, if you'll see about shows, you'll find a picture of that snow covered. And, of course, everybody's booth. They, they cancel the whole show. And, of course, you don't get your money back when they cancel a show. Wow. Um, but it, inclement weather is huge. So you have to prepare for that. Lots of shows will emphasize over and over and over the need to weigh your tent down. Um, You definitely want to think about any jiggling. You want secure ways to attach your paintings to walls. And there's lots of systems um, to do that. I typically weigh my each leg with about 80 pounds of um, weight down. Um, So you definitely want to keep about safety.
0: What about your particular work set up in your booth? It's all perfect. And all of a sudden, here comes a big wind. What how are your things secured? I mean, yours, yours are very breakable. I imagine some hang on the wall, some sit on a shelf mm-hmm. or a table. Mm-hmm. How do you protect those? How do you secure them?
2: I'm, I think you'll be surprised. My tent weighs a lot. I've got mm-hmm. 80, 160, 320 pounds on four legs. My pro panels tie into the tent, so they're all, all one structure. I typically double hang all of the pieces that are hung. Um, and most of my work is framed, framed fairly, fairly large format work. And so I'll double hang that. And when there's a high wind, if I've done my job right, you're not going to see much movement. You're going to be surprised. Mm-hmm. The little drop vessel vases, there's mm-hmm. no way to attach those. They're on pedestals. So I use museum gel. If you know about that, it's a little stuff you buy it on Amazon for. Your, your average lifetime supply will be that $10. I use that about every two years, but a little P of that under the drop vessel and you pick it up and the pedestal or the little piece of glass it's sitting on comes with it. So it really is impervious to wind. Okay. I don't get any wind damage. It's just rare. Um, and all of my work, because you're putting it in a, a matte black lacquer frame that's really susceptible to cracking and chipping and scratching. Every one of my pieces goes to the show in a foam box. So it's protected. And the customer who's about to spend, you know, they're going to spend $1,200 on a piece. They wonder, how am I going to get this darn thing home? Well, if you've Mm -hmm. got this protected six side foam box to give them with the work, you've removed one of the biggest obstacles to buying an expensive piece of art. So you want to protect your work.
1: (laughs) Okay. So I have another question. What happens if somebody comes in your booth? turns around their backpack and knocks something off the wall. (laughs) Have you ever had that happen?
2: Laura, if that happens, it's my fault. It's not their fault. It's rarely their fault. I've had two pieces broken in the last 15 years. Both Mm. were dogs. Both were work on pedestals. And then a dog got alarmed and knocked something off the pedestal. And so I feel like that's my responsibility to keep things safely.
0: That's part of the cost of doing business is you're going to have a little bit of loss, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Now, if somebody did something on purpose, that's perhaps a different story. But I've never had that happen. Knock on wood.
1: So, okay. another question you'd mentioned sometimes having somebody with you there, because what happens when you have to go to the bathroom?
2: (laughs) Um, Most of the shows have booth sitters and they'll either have a cell phone or you'll have a little... Orange tag, or you try to capture a volunteer, but those folks are going around at the really good shows. They're bringing around bottles of water. They're bringing Mm -hmm. fruit. They're bringing, you know, crackers and snacks. Do they bring you bourbon? But never bourbon. Oh man, (laughs) (laughs) never bourbon. But you know, if I come to Paducah, I'll I'll bring some bourbon.
0: (laughs) If I hosted a show,
2: (laughs) there you go, there you go. Just work it into the show fee. And those people are also um, more than willing. Typically, they offer, "Can I watch your booth while you?" Go to the bathroom, and so that's that's the way to do it. The other thing is other artists around. We know the score. You know, when I have to pee, I have to pee, right? I don't wait for twenty minutes for the <laughs> babysitter to come by, so I'll have somebody to watch. Yeah, I, whoever's
0: next to you, just keep an exactly, eye on my. Because you know. you're
2: going to do the same thing, aren't you? So oh, you know, absolutely. We're a community. We're a community.
0: people. And speaking of keeping an eye on stuff, um, what do you do if it's a multi day show overnight? You leave everything set up. Do you pack things up?
2: I leave everything set up. When I was a silversmith, I would take this valuable precious metal stuff, which is pretty easy to break down. The
0: stuff that's easy to, for someone to walk away with. Well,
2: the think about the ROI. It's easy to get and it's got high value. So right. that's, that's the stuff they're going to go for. I've, I've never had anything damaged. Um, most decent shows have security. Mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that's very good security, but they have a security guard or two walking around. They're often fenced off. Now, if it's high inclement weather, Nikki and Laura, I will take the big hanging pieces down, put them in the foam boxes, mm-hmm. the little drop vessels or something that's really fragile for impact. I may take it up and put it on the shelf, but I'm not going to pack it away. In right. a, a typical okay. booth, I might have 40 pieces out, and you know, as it is, I'm going to spend an hour setting up on the Sunday morning. Um, I don't want to do two hours or three hours. That's just too much, so sure. I don't take my work down. Other people do, but... I've been lucky or skillful at <laughs> making my work protected, but I don't, I don't take it out.
1: And do you bring your own lunch with you? How do you deal with like the food situation?
2: Great. I think it's wise to bring you yourself a little cooler with snacks because this is lots of energy. Doing, mm-hmm. doing lunch in an eight-hour show is not enough food. So I bring, bring plenty of water. Because the other thing is, what's the health factor of festival food? It's not pretty. And mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's going to be expensive. So if you can bring, you know, hummus and carrots and crackers and cheese and little stuff to snack on um, throughout the show, you're money ahead. Um, And that's not just about money. It's about health and keeping an energy level up. Yeah. A lot of shows will include a free lunch um, on Saturday, and that's included in the show fee. You fill out a little form. Do I want vegetarian or, you know, chicken chicken or roast beef when they bring you up? bring you a meal mm-hmm. with um, with lunch. But those are, I, I'd, I'd say only 50% of the shows do that. Other shows will have restaurants that come by and say, we have a food truck over here. Do you want us to bring you tacos or whatever the offerings are in your mm-hmm. booth? And you can pay that. But again, what's the health factor and what's the expense?
0: Yeah, I know that. I don't know if this is a normal thing, but our festival in Paducah, we always have a hospitality Room set up somewhere, and it's either in somebody's in somebody's studio because it's in an arts district, or um, somebody's business, and it will have breakfast and snacks throughout the day. Yep. And obviously, it's a mix of healthy and unhealthy snacks. But right, but that's always a nice thing.
2: Yeah, most shows, including the Paducah, Kentucky show, um, do have some kind of hospitality booth. But as yeah. Laura has intimated. How do you get there? You gotta have some coverage somehow. Someone's gonna yeah. watch your booth while you go do that. So yes.
0: Yeah. Of course.
2: And and I'm really there to sell and connect with other artists and other patrons. And that's that's sort of exciting for me. Even though I'm an introvert, I love that part of it. So seeing people's reactions to new work or letting them mm-hmm. feel a lovely, sandblasted, um, soft glass piece or Ask the question, how do you weave class? Is that possible? Do you do it while it's hot? All, this, all these questions they ask, that, that gives me a thrill. Yeah. Part of my mission in life is to share about that. And it's why I love to teach. And I, I think it's why I like to do shows.
0: Nice. So let's talk
1: a little bit about the money aspect of shows. How do you take payments when you're at a show?
2: I do square. Um, used mm-hmm. to be we'd get 50-50 cash versus credit card. And back, back in the day... We had a manual. You know, you'd collect the credit card information on a piece of paper. Go back to your hotel room, plug the credit card reader that you're spending thirty dollars a month to have. Plug it in, run the numbers, and
0: or those big slidey things that you put it in. Did you ever do those?
2: <laughs> a knuckle buster. Yeah, you have a knuckle buster. I'm so and glad so those th- are gone. I'm. I am too. <laughs> so as long as you have an adequate art. Um, internet connection, and that can be a problem. Um, you can run square and um, you don't pay a premium for manually running up. So I like the square with a little card reader. The
1: chip
0: reader you insert the card into.
2: Yeah. So I use, a, I use a square.
0: It plugs into your phone. Right. Or some of them are, I guess they have Bluetooth ones now. Right.
2: But if you're in a rural area, that's a challenge. I've been at shows where I had to write down the credit card number, which sort of makes your customer a little nervous and understandably so. But if you don't have any internet connection, um, you don't have any choice.
0: Doesn't Square have an offline version now, like up to a certain dollar amount
2: that you can take it offline? If they do, I'm I'm not aware.
1: I think you can plug it in later and it's got a higher fee to it or something. Yeah. Um, So, okay. So, if you're, especially if you're somebody who wants to travel and do these art festivals in different states and different cities, how do you deal with sales tax? Do you have to collect the sales tax? How do you know what to collect? How do you remit it? Is that something that you have to worry about in festivals?
2: It is. And you have to have a permit for every state, Laura. Think about it. When I go to New Mexico, I better be registered with the Department of Revenue or whatever it is for New Mexico. So if you do shows in 10 states, yeah. you have to have sales tax permits for 10 states. So yes, you do. Knowing the local tax rate is the easy part. You know, in Texas, yeah. it changes from community to community. Edom, Texas is different from Dallas, which is maybe different from Houston. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. um, you definitely want to do that. I've been to shows that wouldn't let you set up until you showed your resale tax permit. So they're wow. they're serious about it. I had a show in Dallas that the um, the revenue officer for the Texas Controller showed up at every booth and said, what's your name? What's your information? Making sure you have a resale tax information. You don't want to short them on that.
1: Yeah, I know. In um, I know in Oklahoma, where I live now, they actually have the ability in Oklahoma to do just an event, basically a one-time event tax where you submit the tax for that one time. So you don't necessarily have to have the full-on permit. Right. Um, but it is interesting because I'm curious, are there ever any shows where they remit on your behalf?
2: Not that I've ever done one. No. Okay.
1: Good to know. And I really
2: don't want them to do that because I don't want them managing my money. It's none of their business how much money I make. Let me do that.
0: That might happen at like an, an event more than an art festival, like the affordable art show that I just put on for the art center in Paducah. Did it that way. They collected the payments, sure. so they paid the taxes and mm-hmm. then give the artist their commission.
2: That's fair enough. I wouldn't be terribly opposed to somebody doing that because it certainly is a less hassle, but also feels a little invasive to me.
1: Okay, I have another question for you. I've we have so many great questions, and I know we're going to have to <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're we're going to have to wind this down in a little bit, but. Larry, how do you get the best spot at an art market? Because when I go to an art festival and I've been sometimes where I've been trying to find someone and I couldn't find them and come to find out, oh, yeah, we were there. But we were just in the back corner. So when you're getting started with art festivals, how how does it work? How do, how do you get assigned a spot or do you pay for a spot or can you choose a spot? How does that work?
2: Well, when you talk about paying for a spot, the only options you really have is booth size. You can do a single or double booth, which is 10 by 10 or 10 by 20 in most shows, not the little shows. We've, and what
0: do you usually do?
2: I usually do a 10 by 10. I've done a 10 by 20 a couple of times. Okay. And the other thing, if you have enough display and enough work, go planning for somebody not to show up. If somebody next to you doesn't show up, you just got a free 10 by 20 booth
0: oh. Ooh, or a 10
2: by 15 because your next door neighbor is going to do the same thing. Nice. And so go prepared to be it or or at least to put your work on your outside walls mm-hmm. so that people you get more real estate. So um mm-hmm. I think um those and then an end cap booth and I um I chose an end cap booth for a show I just got accepted in and it's fifty dollars more so instead of 450 it's five hundred or whatever it is. Probably worth it. So that gives you some um some choice the other thing is some shows, I think particularly my favorite shows, will ask you, do you have a preference where you are? If you've walked that and have a sense of what sort of a place you want, I hate to say good because good is relative, but a sort of a place you want, give them that as your first choice. and
0: Be near the beer tent.
2: <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe.
0: Everybody walks
2: by. Yeah, but they're there with, they're a sole purpose of buying beer. I want people that are there to buy art. Yeah, of so, course, of course. Um, that's why I won't do wine festivals, interestingly enough, Nikki, because they're there to...
0: Yeah, but don't drunk people spend more...
2: They do, but they're not there. They're not there coming prepared to schlep home art. Yeah. They're there to get wine or listen to music. And so right. I I just, I want a festival devoted to art.
0: That makes um, sense.
2: So, so I think, Laura, um, if you know... Where you want to be, and they give you that option, do that if they have a mm-hmm. comment section, you could say, "Put me in x area
1: right I also
2: think and and maybe this isn't a big deal, but it maybe fits with my personality. I'm a super nice guy with festival directors. if you'll think about that, and Nikki, you bid on that end you've got a hundred or three hundred artists, you got food vendors and all sorts of distractions if you're a jerk of an artist, you didn't get the spot you wanted or you know there's two inches of less space what whatever if I make a big deal about that, there's other artists that want that spot and they don't oh, want yeah. they don't want to do it and so be nice, be courteous, be professional, show up when you say you're going to mm-hmm. follow the rules there was a um, the last festival I did in twenty twenty two at um Rivershawn Park, Laura, you know that area in Dallas mm-hmm. pretty nice tony area um I showed up and Really nice to the festival director. I'd made some comments. I agreed to do some of the um, promo that got published in terms of publicizing the show, which helps him. But it helps me, too. Because guess who comes looking for me? Because they heard me. Right. understand you're a glass artist. I'm going to go looking for you. So if if you are ever offered an opportunity to... Do TV spots or radio or tell or um, newspaper or even talk to the local school. I did that for Cottonwood Art Festival and I probably got five sales out of the parents of those art students. So use those as opportunities, not only to promote the show, but promote yourself. But I, I had done that. I was courteous. I was professional, showed up what? And he gave me a great spot. He was going to put me in this sort of cruddy area. He says, no, I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to have you there. It was right at this perfect corner where everybody would go by. And I have to think that either it was good karma or I was just a nice guy and he had a space that was open and he let that happen. So um, but most places you can't say I want this spot. It's just not part of the part of the game.
0: Okay, so, Larry, we want to talk a little bit about the the bad word, the pandemic.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it's a good word. It's a great word. It's a it's a great word.
0: Tell us why it's a great word. How did it change art festivals? How did it change your business? You know, what did you do when festivals shut down?
2: The short answer before the pandemic, I didn't have nine microphones and two video cameras. <laughs> and that's the truth. I kid you not. I kid you not. I didn't know how to edit video. I didn't know how to edit sound. So when the pandemic hit, every art show that I'm aware of, large and small, just canceled. It yeah. was done. It was over. Yeah. If you'd already juried and paid, they say... Yeah, next year we'll give you a booth. And sometimes that happened. Sometimes that didn't. But it completely eliminated any face-to-face classes. It just killed the whole thing. And you'll, You guys will laugh at me. But, you know, here we've lost sort of collaboration opportunities, learning opportunities, and showing opportunities. And I got personal. I think, you know, from an artist, that's, that's, that's scary. So I started this little group, Lunch with a Glass Artist slash Larry Pyle. And it was so egotistical to say that. But it wasn't that way intent. I thought it would be a couple of months. We would do this and then we'd get back on with normal. normal. Here we are. Um,
0: Normal, he says. (laughs) And so we started.
2: It was just an open forum for an hour. People could do the Zoom. Zoom, we were limited to 100 people. But we quickly got to 100 people. People were going from... Canada and all over the U S and New Zealand and Croatia and just all over the world. Wow. Um, just to talk about stuff. And Mm -hmm. again, that organic word, Laura, um, we just saw some, someone suggested, well, what if we did a little didactic subject? Someone volunteers to talk about something, how to put on a good art show, right, for 30 mm-hmm. minutes. And they do that. And then we have show and tell and Sherlocking. One of our members named the sort of questions and answers about technical stuff, Sherlocking. And so okay. we did that and we've been doing it. Um, it'll be three years in March. Wow. Um, as of last Saturday, we've done 141 Zoom, one hour Zoom things. And I used to do brick and mortar classes in my studio. And of course that completely eliminated. So once a month I do what I called second Saturday table time. It's not always on the second Saturday, which just confuses my audience, but you <laughs> got to keep the branding up. Um, and it's an in-depth didactic topic that I do completely in Zoom. So I'll have a PowerPoint deck. I record those. And if you pay the low fee for the class, you get the recording but people buy those. I sell those mm-hmm. every week recording about my glass topics.
1: So give me a couple of examples of, of topics that you've covered
2: um my three most popular um one is on screen printing so screen printing with glass powder and glass enamels um Uh highly technical highly focused and not everybody does it so it's a two-hour zoom
0: Ooh, i want to do that
2: i do one called creating with a vitrograph kiln which is a specialized kiln i won't go into that but there's this big secret and there's lots of secrets in the art world i think we live in a world of scarcity we ought to talk about that sometime laura yeah. But I think people are reticent to share. And so there's been this big secret. And so in my December, um, table time was about that. I said, you know, darn it, I'm going to quit holding that secret. And so I gave formulas and examples and showed the process for doing this, what I call highly secretive process. I'm just not gonna do it, do it anymore. So that's mm-hmm. another one. Um, in the glass world, we struggle with displaying things without clutter. And so I have mm-hmm. two display your glass things about framing and matting and shadow boxing and mounting on metal and making your own stands, just a whole plethora of ways.
1: Yeah, cause you, you've even designed those, I think for your Vitrium sculptures, right? You've designed the stand that they sit in, which is beautiful. Mm-hmm.
2: I have them designed and have them made. Yeah, yeah.
0: And I think you also sell those, don't you? I do. I thought I saw them I on do. your website. They're
2: expensive, but they're yeah. lovely. They're yeah. lovely. But I, I make no apologies if you want quality and uniquity. Who Absolutely. wants to go to China and buy a $20 stand when you can have something custom made in the powder coat color of your choice? And For it sure. just doesn't make any sense. Because my theme is uniquity and high quality. It just, it, if it doesn't have that, I'm not interested. So. Laura, did I answer your question about the pandemic? So the pandemic, yeah. all shows stopped as of probably after April of 2020, mm-hmm. there were no more shows until maybe spring of 2021. Even those were few and far between. And what happened, we saw, or I saw a number of folks, maybe it was 2022 before they really got um, going, but there was a situation that, I will explain, I don't have any facts for this, but I think that people stayed at home, they didn't eat out, they didn't go on vacation, so they had money to burn. And so the yeah. first few art festivals I did where people were there to be seen and buy stuff, sales were really, really, really good. That's, that, that's, that's, that's gone down a little, but I think it changed our priorities.
0: They'd been in their empty houses staring at their empty walls for right. two years.
2: Yeah. Or the same old stuff, which is right. the same thing, right? right. <laughs> so I think from my perspective, Laura, um, I don't think I'll ever go back. I'll start, certainly I'm starting to do more face-to-face classes and all that stuff. But Lawaga and the second Saturday table time, I get asked every every Saturday, are we going to continue this or at some point since the yeah. pandemic is over? Or so we thought we will we will we will we will we nix this. Um
0: This group, actually,
2: it's a completely unpaid group, right? They fund the $700 subscription that allows us to exceed 100 participants. So that's how invested these people are to keeping this thing going. Because these people are rural areas or foreign countries where they don't have resources. We are a resource. So it's super exciting. And it's accidental. I would disassociate my name with it if I could, because that seems egotistical. But (laughs) it is what it is. I thought it was for three months when I established it. So anyway.
0: So, how are you getting, how are you marketing these classes and Zoom events that you're doing?
2: So, all I do um, for the Lawaga, the Lunch with a Glass Artist, is I announce on, the, on five or six Facebook pages, hey, we're going to do, we're going to meet again on Saturday from noon to one Central Standard Time. And mm-hmm. the topic is last, um, last week it was um, making lanterns, the, taking the little IKEA lanterns and making panels for them. Um, So I announce the topic and I say the time and I put the Zoom link. It doesn't have a password because if you click it, it just takes you right into the Zoom. And I do that. I have a mailing list of people who have asked to be on the mailing list. I send that out on Friday. So Friday afternoon, I'll post five Facebook posts and a, a single email to people who have asked and the rest is up to them. And we have everything from 45 to 125 people each time. So. Wow.
0: But when you first started this, when the festivals shut down and it was new and nobody knew what it was, what did you do to get the word out? Anything different or just same thing? Share it with your email list and post it on Facebook.
2: Same thing.
1: Well, and once anybody attends one of these things, they're going to want to attend them all because Larry, you're awesome. <laughs>
2: well, thank, you. thank you. And we release the record. We record and put the um, all the Zoom recordings up on the I use I use Vimeo as my platform they're they're all they're all free and people can download them or watch them. And there's now it's about one hundred and thirty of those. Uh, nice. Now. So you could go and get literally get one hundred and thirty hours of free glass instruction by that. So they're great. Though.
1: So we would love to link to where um, our listeners can get access to those. Um, so where can our listeners connect with you online?
2: Uh, they can email me Larry at Larry Pyle Glass. My website is Larry dot com. Um, I have a Facebook page, an Instagram page, all with the same, um, same moniker.
0: Larry Pile Glass on all of them.
2: You know, I think my Facebook page is just Larry Pyle. I need okay. to look at that and reevaluate. But yeah, I did a huge name change a year ago, Nikki, and I'm still, I'm still <laughs> I'm covering little, um, little places. Yeah. Oh, I
0: understand. I think we've all done that. Yeah. Well, Larry, we just want to thank you
1: so much for coming on the show today and just sharing all of your knowledge so generously. Um, And we know that people will get so much out of this, especially people who are interested in getting
0: started with art festivals.
2: It's been a pleasure, Laura, Nikki. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for being here with us. To learn more about Larry and read today's show notes, go to com slash Larry Pyle Glass. And Pyle is... P-I-L-E. If you've
1: enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. Sharing helps us reach more startups like you and keeps us inspired to create new episodes.
0: Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.